You're listening to The Spirit Hunters on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Check us out and our new friends at greenlitpodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 22 of The Spirit Hunters. This is Hannah. Joe. Sarah. So last time we covered the first two episodes of the Heaven's Arena arc. Our boy Wing couldn't give us a straight answer to save his life and we're probably gonna make you google what the heck Nen is. Um, This time we cover Episode 29 and deep dive our way into the breakdown of Nen. You better get ready. All right, so episode 29, or as Netflix likes to call it, season two, episode three, Awakening and Potential. It was originally released in Japan on April 29th, 2012, and aired on Toonami on November 19th, 2016. Equivalent manga chapters are 48 and 49, which were released in Japan on April 26, 1999. The equivalent 1999 episode is episode 39, and that was released on Japan on September 16, 2000. Yo, the manga chapter mm-hmm. and the 2011 episode were released uh, 13 years apart almost. Like 13 years and three days. Whoa. Oh, wow. Dang. Oh, and there's a cute dog in the room with me. Damn it. <laughs> Go ahead. So, the episode starts with um, with everyone as they're having some sort of spirit energy. The actual use of Nen is a huge secret. And some people have a natural inclination to using it without knowing. These people are considered geniuses, prodigies, psychics, and superhumans. Um, Nen can be awakened in two ways, usually carefully, which can take years, or by force using Hatsu, which could probably kill them. Uh, our boys, Gon and Kilwa, only have four hours to be able to use Nen to pass to the 204. Um, they could have taken the careful route, but that would have taken at least a week or even two. Oh, so... <laughs> um, Wing says that Zushi, um, with all his skills and talents, he managed to take three months only to start using them. So, meaning that Gon and Kilo really have work cut out for them. Yeah, like Zushi is a prodigy. Meanwhile, Gon and Kilua are geniuses. <laughs> huh, that's true. It's a good distinction. Um, so. Wing will attempt to jolt the era aura nodes within them by transmitting Nen. Um, this is something that could be potentially very dangerous, uh, but the boys are willing to trust Wing fully um, in order to awaken their potential to use Nen. Um, Wing lets everyone know Let's Gon and Kiwa know that everyone on the 200th floor knows how to use Nen. And if you are ignorant of Nen, there's a hazing ritual where you'll be attacked um, by everyone with Nen. If you manage to survive, you're welcome on the floor. 
Um, this cuts to people with a variety of prosthetics indicating that they have lost their actual limbs in the pursuit of making it to the 200th floor. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> it is... So, just to know the actual severity of men and just trying to gain the power in order to pass through the channel floor, it's not an easy road. Um, so, Gon and Kiwa assume position, um, and Wing transfers his Nen over to them. Um, Gon says that if you, the feeling is that it's so hot that he can feel a pressure um, while Kiwa is reminded of the same creepy, almost paralyzing feeling that he gets from Illumi, um, but if it, if what he was currently feeling would be multiplied by I think like a million, um, in the at least in the dub, then um, it would be exactly what he feels when he's around Illumi. And so I don't think that's necessarily supposed to be an indicator of power so much as like the pressure part of it, right? Um, so with this, Wing opens their nodes all over their bodies giving them the ability to see their aura. It essentially looks like steam. Um, Kiwa points out that it's rushing out from my body and it's not stopping. Um, so, Wing points out essentially the aura that they're seeing is their life energy and that it's basically evaporating from their bodies. And with a little guided meditation, um, Wing helps them control and contain their energy. Um, Gon and Kilua are true naturals to mastering Nen, which impresses and scares Wing. Um, Wing then uses malicious Nen um, against them to, for practice. And with that... And all, without all that happening, the boys finally arrive to the 200th floor, and they calmly walk towards Hisoka as he emits his malicious nen, and they are able to pass. Real Ooh. quick, mm -hmm. just for some reflection, the last time like Kilua felt malicious nen before he was able to visualize or see nen, he ran into that corner. He was so terrified. That was his natural reaction as opposed to Gon, who got paralyzed, basically. Yeah, so... So, so they managed, it really does show that they managed to really improve, like, actual glow up right there. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hisoka knows that they're, um, they're at the Heavens Arena, um, to train in order to eventually fight him. Um, he'll only accept their challenge if they both manage to win a single match on the 200th floor. Um, he doesn't think either one of them is ripe enough yet. Okay. Okay, so I didn't <laughs> yeah. read the manga this time, but I think that phrase is only used in 2011. <laughs> oh, man. He's got to stop comparing people to kids to fruit. It's weird. <laughs> yep. Uh, the clock shows 2337 means that they've managed to use 10 in just two hours. Dang. They are geniuses. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so, 
A jury-type um, presenter lady explains the rules of the 200th floor. Uh, there's a maximum 90 days of fight preparation. Um, they can use as little or as much time within those 90 days between fights. If you don't fight after the 90 days, you're disqualified. Uh, you need 10 victories in order to advance. Um, with If you have 4 losses before those 10 wins, you're disqualified. After 10 wins, you can challenge them Floor Master. Uh, the Floor Masters are the 21 strongest fighters, each having their own floor. If you beat a Floor Master, then you can come, you're the master of that floor. And Floor Masters get to compete at the Battle Olympia, the biennial festival of combat. So, <laughs> y'all think a tournament arc is coming along? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> let me let me read directly what it says in the way that I think Megan intended. Do you smell a little, 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 a tournament arc coming on? <laughs> <laughs> and then she says, "Lol, nah, <laughs> the boys aren't into it. Um, all they want, uh, especially Gon, he just wants to fight Hisoka. Um, they're not really interested in the slightest um, in this." becoming a master of any floor and they don't even let our uh jury stand in to explain all the perks <laughs> question did you guys watch this in japanese or english english uh, english did you guys notice anything about the jury stand-in's voice it was the same voice for all the jury stand-in type characters right it's the same voice actress um I forget, but at least when they're officiating matches, mm, this might be later. I'll keep my mouth shut until we get to later. Actually, I mean, the there was like a Koto stand-in earlier, right? Yeah, but it's it's less a spoiler for anything in the show and more a spoiler for something extra textual, which is pretty interesting because oh. it's a red-haired woman, and they definitely got the woman who played Misty in the original Pokemon in the English version. Oh, really? Oh my gosh. Hmm. Yeah, for at least, like, her refing. I don't remember if she was also the one in the Explaining Battle Olympia or anything. Oh my gosh, I had to go back and listen. Yeah, I was listening to it, I'm like, this sounds like Misty, and then I looked up, like, holy shit, it's Misty. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's awesome. I would not, I'm not as good with voices. I wish I was. But, like, yeah, that's a really good, like, um, what would you call that? Like, a callback or callback or just like, easter egg easter egg yeah it's an easter egg yeah because it's not really like it doesn't add anything in terms of like text it's more just like oh it's cool that she's like still doing the thing and that she's gotten better etc etc mm-hmm. yeah um so continuing on uh three dudes are creeping up on our boys uh so they can fight gone gone is very eager to accept this and says that he's ready to fight uh Yes, uh, Megan loves how the show takes moments um, to keep them ch as children. Um, like when they che check out the room and are excited about it, it's just very true that Gon and Kiwa are literally kids. Yeah. Um, I agree. It's nice to see kids acting like kids instead of like mini adults. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like the. Like uh, oh, go, go for it, Joe. I was going to say, like, or, like, adults who are idiots, because yeah. that's, like, often a depiction is, like, oh, they're, like, an adult, but a fucking moron. Yeah. No, they're they're definitely kids. Like, 
Um, I remember, because that was really cute, um, going to like, was like, oh my god, this is the biggest bed I've ever seen. And it legit looked like, uh, triple California king size bed. Like, (laughs) it was really, those details are really cute. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so, Gon, he knows he isn't going to win. He just wants to experience. Um, he's set up to fight against Guido, who uses Nen. Nen controlled Beyblades with complex pattern. And, uh, Gon is just really stressed out about this. And, and credits. A uh, quick note, uh, Battle Olympia, this thing that is mentioned here, never becomes a thing during the entire anime and only is a thing during one of the non-canonical movies and in the manga once you get all the way past the anime. Oh, really? Huh. <laughs> yeah, so the entire events of the show have nothing to do with Battle Olympia. <laughs> and even that non-canon movie only kind of does. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so, um, let's see. Then there's a note, <laughs> a manga note, so I'll just skip to them. Um, you can't see it here, but there, there was included in this chapter a Color Me Karapika, um, it's not a paint by numbers, so anyone really could have just done whatever they wanted. They could have given him <laughs> the classic blonde hair, or they just could have made him pink or purple, whatever you you want. Draw, um, color him like an e-girl. Yeah, an e-girl. <laughs> an e-boy. An um, e-boy. So, no. the manga notes, um, there are two choices, so... For getting none, um, the slow and steady, which about six months, or force, which was instantly, uh, they know that Nen depletes the life source, um, super fast initially, and that the in the manga the masters, the four masters come up and they talk a bit to Gon and Ki- and Kilua, and that's it, um, for the manga. So real quick, in uh, the 1999 version, during them learning Nen and then walking through Hisoka's Ren, they play the hectic fight music, which it kind of is a different set of stakes because the way they treat the pacing, it's more like this is part of a conflict rather than like this is them building up. And I think that mm-hmm. might just be a characterization based on them not exactly knowing where things were going to go with the series. So it's interesting. It's not like it doesn't tell you like something huge, but it is kind of weird how they recycle music differently in the different versions. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be the equivalent if they played like the, you know, that song that plays in New Hawk show too many times to count. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it'd be like if they played that song. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, the people in the vision of the floor masters are one, they show faces who are people who are not existent and two, they're way browner and more different looking from each other than anyone we've seen in the show or manga. So I'm not sure what exactly they were trying to do. Maybe they were trying to show like, oh, these floor masters are like exotic and from other lands or something like that. But I'm not huh. exactly sure what the idea there was. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, Sorry, go ahead. I was thinking because, like, I mean, it could could be just, like, a coloring thing, like, simple, like, oh, you know, let's use these shades. I don't know if it's unintentional or intentional. Um, I think it was painted, and so I wonder if it's, like, oh, the quality of the paint when recorded the same way, maybe slightly different. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm trying – were the floor masters, like, shown, like – 
older looking as well. And, like, yeah. More rough. That I think I've seen that with a lot of like anime, especially the '90s, early 2000s. Like, um, it's not even to indicate like they're foreign, but I guess like, um, I guess like the more weathered experience look. I guess so. They, that could that could very well be it. Yeah. Right. But who knows? Yeah, I will just, never know. <laughs> I was just gonna joke. Everyone, it was Tanner in the early in the nineties and two thousands. <laughs> you are right. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so this is a little bit off tangent, but I just wonder, maybe in terms of maybe this is what I notice in live action. I feel like I see it in anime too. Um, just in. I don't know, people in, like, Asian media just seem like they had more color <laughs> in their skin. Maybe it's just, like, there's, like, a different filter that sees now in different shows. I mean, I just notice a lot versus, like, in Korean media versus mm-hmm. now, where everything's just soft through a soft filter. Everyone looks significantly paler. And then it kind of... Ref- and I think it's the same with Japanese shows, too. I wouldn't be surprised if it has to do with, like, increased participation in media of, like, mainland China and Korea, Mm -hmm. like, versus, like, Japan kind of dominating the Asian cultural landscape in the, like, 90s. And so I wonder if it's just, like, because there's stronger preferences for that in those countries because for, like, a lot of, like, old cultural reasons, I wonder if it just, like, reset what the, like, default assumption of, like, media people's color was. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I, I think, think technology too, like Sarah's mentioning with filters, like it's there's a lot more technology for live, especially like live sh- video shooting where you can use color filters to make things pop out or in some cases lighter mm-hmm. versus back in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, and I think with anime, too, it also kind of reflects that as well. Just the amount of even, like, background characters, there's less variation in terms of even within, like, that slim range of, like, skin tone, unless they're, like, an obvious foreign character or a character that's, like, an outside laborer. Mm -hmm. It just seems like it's a lot more limited now to, like, a specific... like a specific beige or peach well if you notice like i'm sure i don't know maybe you notice this joe with like watching the 1999 anime versus the 2011 like the color palettes itself like the 90s one is much quote-unquote darker overall Mm -hmm. versus more saturated versus the 2011s and that's partially due to the um, use of, like, digital, like, animation. Um, You can use more exact color palettes versus back in the 90s, you were using, you had to mix colors if you wanted a certain color and stuff. So it was more, it had more labor in terms of, like, making color palettes and going, using different swatches. Nowadays, you just need the eyedrop tool to make a new color. And, like, I think the aesthetic with most anime nowadays is more on the lighter, not pastel side, but it's, like, lighter, more, um, it's kind of, like, less heavy-handed with, like, the style. Mm-hmm. Um, so. 
it's a mix yeah, of all I that. Think, I think you're definitely right that it could reflect some of that in anime for sure. Um, like, for instance, uh, in 99, they they tend to make uh, Gon noticeably darker than Kilua. And Kilua, they try to make him as pale as possible. And I'm wondering how much of that had to do with, like, oh, how hard was it to make each of those shades versus just kind of, like, the natural uh, shade that they had for a lot of things, you know? So, mm-hmm. don't know. Yeah. Um, so, another thing about 99, um, it kind of went a bit further with this um, set of episodes than, uh, 20, than 2011 went. Um, for instance, they started the fight, um, and the noise that the tops make is the same as uh, Rinku's Serpent Yo-Yos from Yu Show. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, where, did, where did this episode cut off for in 2011? Because I thought it went a bit further, but I might have misremembered. Did did the battle start, or was it just, like, going being like, there's going to be a battle? There's going to be a battle. Oh, okay. Then I'll cut off some of the stuff I discuss later. Cool. Yeah, so what do you guys think about this episode? I really yeah, liked yeah. it. Yeah, me too. Gave more depth. I understood more of what, like, um, Nen was. Um, I also, um, I'm trying to think what else. I don't know. I hate Hisoka, so... I hate seeing his face. <laughs> He's and, an incredibly divisive character. He really is. He, I, I just don't like characters like his. That's just my personal opinion. There's very few I like. In Name terms some characters of, like him. Uh, the Roger Joker. from American Dad. <laughs> the alien, the psychotic alien, sociopathic alien from American Dad. I like. <laughs> He's a very much Hisoka character. <laughs> I know, like, probably were like, what the fuck, what do you mean? But if you watch American Dad, especially nowadays, um, you can see a lot of Hisoka traits in Roger, so. (laughs) Nice. Um, Azula? Uh, Kind of. Mm, I'd I'd maybe wait for that one for, watch more Hunter x Hunter. I, I think... I think there's more moral ambiguity to him than there is to Azula. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think, like, do 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 Because I don't... I don't know. Toga from My Hero? Not really. Because mm. I think Toga's kind of a divisive character, too. Like... I don't know. I don't know who are you I think guys the people who up? like Toga really just want to be stepped on. Yeah, that's true. They're, I don't think they're standing up for her moral character. I think they're just like, oh, I want this uh, high school girl to step on me. And like, bleed, <laughs> cut me, bleed me out. <laughs> Make like, out okay. with me. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I kind of, I mean, I understand the appeal of his character. I don't necessarily think it's really for me either. It's like with the he had like that blood knight. I mean that's a trope. The mm-hmm. blood knight thing going for him. Just loves to fight. Loves the the thrill of battle. But he also has very he seems like he has a lot more ambiguity and it's I think setting him up as the antagonist to the protagonist gone. Like it could create like uh either you love it or you hate it i guess it depends on what your preferences are at the end of the day Mm -hmm. i i definitely think he's supposed to be 
contrasted with like his and Gon's relationship is supposed to be directly contrasted with Yusuke Toguro. Mm-hmm. So get ready for that when we get to it. Ooh, interesting. I'm excited. I mean, they had the early fight that he kind of let the other guy win, and then they're like, "Oh yeah, follow me to this tournament." Mm-hmm. Yep. D- don't worry, he's not going to kill Wing. Spoilers, oh, he will not kill Wing. Okay. <laughs> Nor was he, like, Wing's lover 50 years ago or anything. Is that a theory? Is that what people think? No, no, no. I'm just contrasting it to Taguro Genkai. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Actually, without telling you more... There is a weird dynamic between him and the Genkai stand-in who shows up much later. Oh, okay. But, like, not, like, a pre-existing one, more just, like, one that happens. Anyways, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so if if that's what you guys got for the episode, um, uh, are you guys good on the episode, or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so before we get to my research, here's a word from our uh, network mates. Fans of video games, history, or video game history, will definitely want to listen to Retronauts. Each week, Bob Mackey and myself, that's Jeremy Parrish, dive into the stories behind the greatest games of the past and the history behind the hits of today. Check us out every Monday on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Come on in. What can I get you? Sure, I've heard of Hair of the Dogcast. They're that podcast about video games and beer. From the latest gaming headlines to diving deep into the games of yesterday to sampling and reviewing craft beer from all over the world, Hair of the Dogcast is here for the gamer and beer lover in all of us. Available weekly on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hey guys, welcome back. So today's research topic is uh, is Nen and uh, some of the Nen exercises. I think I went further into depth than I needed to because I thought the episode went further than it did. So I'll try to keep that out to avoid spoilers. But um, before we get to talking about Nen, I want to talk about Shingen Ryu, which is the style that Wing is a master of. And uh, I think he's already mentioned who... Did he mention who the originator of the style is, the headmaster? I don't think not, so. Not that I'm not recalling that. Okay, well, spoilers, it's it's Netero. Netero is the originator of the style. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's not like a big revelation. He's just more like, oh, yeah, the guy who invented the style is the chairman of the Hunter hunter uh, organization. It's it's Netero, dog. Um, <laughs> the name of the style is Shingen Ryu, which, uh, if you translate it, means heart-originating style or that which comes from the heart style. Uh, and it's variously described as kung fu or karate. Uh, this is because it's actually in Japanese described as kenpo, which is an ambiguous term that literally means fist art. But, um, in Japanese culture, both karate and Chinese martial arts can be described as, a, like, can be described as kenpo, especially if they have a direct or indirect Chinese origins, as most forms of karate do. Because even though karate is thought of as a Japanese martial art, it's not actually the native Japanese striking art. The native Japanese striking art was types of jujitsu. But with the incorporation of Okinawa into, like, the rest of Japan, they basically were like, oh, you know that the Kung Fu-derived hand style that you guys have down there? We're, like, claiming that for the rest of Japan. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, it's uh, the politics of ancient karate are very interesting, especially because a lot of the Okinawan masters before Okinawa was part of Japan, um, when it was more like a tributary state rather than part of formal Japan, actually mm-hmm. would go to mainland China to train in Kung Fu and then come back and reabsorb it back into karate. Well, that's it's, cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's like MMA before MMA. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. 
So uh, given the origin story of Shingen Ryu, which uh, will come up in the show and eventually I will point out its most direct basis on karate, it's basically a take on the origin story of Kyokushin Kaikan, which is, uh, I think the name literally translates to the ultimate truth house or society. So like society of ultimate truth. Yes, it is the most pretentiously named form of karate. (laughs) Um, But at the time that they named it, it was, they earned it. Like, because the founder of it had, like, basically won every national karate championship in every style that year. And so, um, his name is Masatatsu Oyama. We'll, we'll definitely do a deep dive on him in the future because, like, they basically explain a parallel to his life in the early life of Netaro when they eventually get to it. But for right now, I'm just going to note that, um, on a recent episode of Say the X, you know, our, our, uh, Sister, uh, not no, we're, we're not sister podcast, but our friend podcast, uh, friends of the show, say the X, uh, pointed out that Shingen Ryu is probably the reason for the names. Uh, so there was a style called Shingan Ryu, which means uh, eye of the heart style, and uh, it's a type of Yawara, which is like an ancient word for jujitsu. It means harmony, but uh, so that's probably where the name comes from. But the origin story comes from Kyokushin. So if you guys want to do your own independent research, both of them do kind of inform the meanings of the style and like the origin of it. But we'll get into much greater depth than that in a future episode. Yeah. Had you guys ever heard of uh, either style before or? No. <laughs> no, this is all really new. I My martial arts knowledge is pretty limited. So, um it's it's it is really cool that um you know they're taking a lot from like real life inspiration i mean it's kind of like i think that's what's cool is like when you can take a like some kind of battle style that is obviously fictional and you put your own like terms and stuff but then it's based on like real life and you can i don't know i think it's cool like nod to like history and like mm-hmm. the martial arts forms, so it's cool. Yeah, uh, I think the same. I mean, my martial arts, I think specifically Japanese is a little bit limited. I guess if you ask me about Polynesian, <laughs> I could probably tell you a little bit more just because I find I'm doing a lot of, like random research on that. But um, I pray for the day that becomes relevant to an anime. I know, it would be so cool. I think if they ever do another Avatar um, spinoff, they should incorporate some Polynesian martial arts into it. Or maybe it is very weird that Polynesians and Austronesians generally were not in the Avatar universe. Yeah. Yeah, The closest thing was the Swamp Benders. But they were Vietnamese. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Those aren't mutually exclusive because there are Vietnamese nationals who are descended from Polynesians, but they're not. The names they gave them were like Win and stuff like that. So, like, they're like straight up Vietnamese as opposed to like Polynesian Vietnamese people. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I, one thing I wanted to clarify I mentioned the idea that the Shin in both Shingan Ryu and Shingen Ryu is the same, like the idea of heart. Like, Shin is the heart character. If you look at the symbol, it doesn't look that much like a heart, but if you look at this old symbol that was used to be ins- inscribed on turtle bones that were then uh, thrown into a fire to do, like, fortune-telling, that's, like, the oldest form of Chinese writing, it looks like the Western cartoon depiction of hearts, like, you know, like the, like, pointy thing. Oh, that's cool. Which is kind of weirdly interesting. But yeah. the reason I'm bringing this up is Kyokushin, the Shin there, is not actually the same Shin. 
it is uh, shin meaning truth rather than uh, shin meaning heart. And that's uh, a subject we're kind of going to get on during this, the idea of like alternate readings slash like homophones that are not actually the same, etc. Speaking of which, uh, we talked about the idea of Nen versus Nen. Um, how, how are you guys feeling about the idea of Nen flame versus Nen mind? Um, at first I was kind of, um, like when they mentioned, when in episode, um, 28, right? Um, when Zushi was like, wait a second, you explained the wrong, why did you lie? And, um... Ling was like, I didn't lie, technically. <laughs> and so I thought <laughs> From it was, a different perspective. Like, I thought it was one of those moments where, like, I mean, I didn't really lie, quote-unquote. but you said um, half the truth. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's interesting. Like, I kind of get it, and I know you're going to talk about it more. Um, but, like, to me, the first Nen is kind of like, um, kind of like, I guess, like, you know, I mentioned flame, like, igniting basically the purpose, while the other one is, like, mind force is, like, really thinking that into reality, I guess. And I don't know, that's a, not the, probably the best way to explain it, but... Metaphorically, that's a really good way of explaining the difference. Yeah, and so... um Yeah, so I thought it's interesting. It's really interesting how maybe because I... Me, because I was watching the dub, you know, and, um, so it's a lot, maybe it can, it can get lost in translation or you don't feel like the significance of it until like it's explained fully versus someone who can read the characters and it's maybe said differently in Japanese. I don't know. So, but, um, I think based on like once we got to episode 29, I was like, okay, I think I'm getting the difference or why, you know, it was Mm -hmm. explained, you know, the way it was. Yeah. Okay. So with that in mind, I just want to preface this with like, I do not speak Japanese. I do not speak any form of Chinese. I just, as a hobby, like looking some of this stuff up every once in a while. So I mispronounce things, especially if I give the wrong tone to things in Mandarin, Cantonese, or if I like completely butcher middle Chinese, which for the record, most like average speakers of Chinese do not know Middle Chinese because it is like a very old form of the language. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I am. I am admitting ahead of time that I'm probably going to screw this up, but I'll try to explain things as best as possible. And uh, these these meanings actually do come into play. And normally, I think I'm going overboard by explaining this, but the use of Chinese characters and these specific Chinese characters, I think, does warrant a deep analysis for reasons I'll get into. So, Nen, of the flame, uh, means to burn, blaze, or glow. Like, uh, this is the first Nen that they learn. And uh, just as a little bit of history, if you look at the Chinese character, uh, it's read as Nian, like in Middle Chinese, which is like the form of Chinese that influenced Japanese pronunciations. The Japanese form is actually more conservative to this pronunciation of Nian than either Mandarin or Canto, which are two of the big uh, Chinese languages that descend from Middle Chinese. Mandarin totally changes this to Ran, and Canto uh, Cantonese changes it to Jin. So the Japanese form actually preserves the uh, pronunciation of Nian to Nen much more closely. Um, there's probably a lot of reasons for this, but they're not worth elaborating, and I'd be doing, I'd, I'd have to do more significant research. 
Uh, but in Chinese, it also contains distant connotations of to spark or to raise hopes. So in Japanese, though, this is pronounced nen or zen, depending on how it's used in character compounds. Mm-hmm. The uh, That's the onyomi reading, a.k.a. the Chinese-influenced reading. So there's actually a second reading to it, or well, one of many, that is moeru or moe. Do you guys know the origin of the anime term moe? Not the origin. I just know the current definition. <laughs> know the genre. Mm. Oh, I have mixed feelings about it. But as but- do I. But this is actually related in the weirdest way possible. <laughs> Sorry, I just blew the mic. Um, but the word moe, which comes from the character moe, which is a different character meaning to bud or sprout. Uh, which is the origin of the anime term moe, is often back-rationalized or atejid to include the burning passion for ideals demonstrated in youth, which makes it the other moe. So people often pun moe and moe. And so uh, Mm -hmm. many Japanese compounds include it pronounced as nen to emphasize the idea of burning for fuel, but in the case of the anime thing, they're just like, oh, burning youth. So in certain ways, Rock Lee could be considered moe. I like that definition. Rock Lee should be the face of Moe, in my opinion. <laughs> He's the face of Moe in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> so you can see this, uh, like, the, the thing you actually said earlier kind of hits the nail on the head. The literal and metaphorical meanings of Moe could be seen as flame of hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'm, sorry, Nen. <laughs> Let me go back to the Onyomi pronunciation. Notice that the Onyomi pronunciation, Chinese pronunciation, that was a theme that will continue as we kind of go through this like little lesson. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes martial arts that are influenced by Chinese martial arts like to use the Chinese pronunciations as a matter of principle. Mm. Um, That's cool. Yeah, kind of honoring the origin of where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, so it's it's very Japan and China have a very interesting relationship with regards to like foundational cultural aspects. Like there was a period of the Middle Ages where Japan a lot of scholars were written literally writing treatises about how Japan was the true inheritors of Middle Chinese culture and that China had squandered it. Like which is things that you see similarly happening after the fall of the Roman Empire like everyone claimed oh we're the actual inheritors of the Roman Empire. Mhm. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. So the other Nen, a.k.a. mind force, means mm-hmm. sense or feeling, or I guess you could kind of put those two together as sentiment. Mm-hmm. So if you were to look at the history of the character, uh, this character only has an Onyomi reading. There is no Japanese reading for it. It is a Chinese concept imported into Japan. So in Chinese, the middle Chinese form of it was Nem, N-E-M, M as in macaroni, <laughs> yeah, I I don't remember the uh you know the military alphabet off the top of my head. So macaroni. In Cantonese it came in as nim n i m as in macaroni. In Mandarin it's uh it's nian. And in Chinese the meaning is to miss, to long for or recall. The secondary meaning is to consider or to contemplate. So uh, the literal or metaphorical meaning could be sentiment rather than just feeling or mind. Oh, and this is cool. neon with an I, not a Y. <laughs> just Correct. to make sure it's not a neon cat. <laughs> exactly, exactly. When you mentioned macaroni, I was thinking because you know how there was like a purple aura 
um, or a white oh aura <laughs> with like, um, surrounding them once they, uh, achieved like the nen. So I was thinking mm-hmm. like white pieces of macaroni floating around you. <laughs> oh my god, when I have a kid, I need them to do macaroni art of auras. <laughs> be so dumb <laughs> actually you know what listeners if you want to send in macaroni art of auras please go ahead <laughs> we'll set up a contest and maybe we'll send you like i don't know the craft dinosaur or some shit yeah. uh anyways uh an alternative episode title explanation for nen to nen could be burning hope and sentiment but that's that might be too deep of a read like not like what they intended but like you get the idea if you wanted to translate it more in such a way that you could differentiate the two nen characters mm-hmm Funny story, the 1999 episode title was very confusingly na- named Nen X Nen X Nen, but it was written in Kana, so I have no clue what the third Nen was. <laughs> it's just like, oh, that one's just uh, bullshit, actually. Maybe it could be like, to burn, to miss, to to feel? I don't know, that's weird. You know what? That actually, I don't think that's the case, but that is a very poetic title and I kind of like it. Yeah. We can go with that. That could be our yeah. headcanon. <laughs> our yes. theory. Our headcanon for the 1999 localization choices. Yeah. <laughs> We're going deep headcanon now. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm going to elaborate a little bit on the Nen exercises. How did, did you guys kind of have a grasp of how these worked mechanically or are they sort of confusing? Cause like honestly, until I looked it up, I did not understand how some of this worked at like a deep level because like it's fucking confusing. I took it for what it is. So, like, for example, when um, Wing, he, like, pushed his, was it 10? Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to remember the terms. When he pushed his aura onto them. To oh, that's, op- that's Hatsu. The Hatsu. one that they explained the least. Okay, yeah. Is that what you kind of refer to? Like, opening the aura nodes? I was kind of like, I was very confused for it by it. I was like, I guess it makes sense that you had to push... Something into someone in order to awaken the dormant thing inside them. Like, I'm like, I was thinking, I guess that's logical to, to me. But, um, yeah, it was very confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of understood it in the sense that if you're using like the same substance, but for different purposes, you have to channel it or use it in different ways, but in terms of the actual terminology, I I got lost. <laughs> okay. So well, I understood, this will be a good review. Yeah. I understood the basic concept being like, there's different ways of using Nen, and here's how to use them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So if I were to draw a metaphor, imagine if the human body had a fire inside of it, that was like unquenchable, could not go out, but it was under high pressure. Mm-hmm. And what what Wing did by opening the nodes was effectively your body is covered in a surface of valves that can either be in or out, depending on what you want to do with them. And he basically opened up all the valves at the same time and the fire starts rushing out. Oh. So that's kind of the basic, that's like the basic thing of what's going on. That's why he's like, hey man, if you uh, don't catch this um, after I open these, you will die. That makes so, sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that in mind, 10, the first exercise, is actually about keeping the aura flowing through and around the body. So basically causing the 
aura to still come out, but then turning some of the nodes into inlets and having them go back in and, like, flow in and out throughout the body. Uh... So basically surrounding someone with, like, a... Surrounding someone with, like, a cloud of Nen particles, you could say. Or Nen waves, however you want to envision this. Mm-hmm. It's going to get real theoretical real fast. <laughs> so, this keeps someone young as the body's energy is no longer leaking away. So, basically, before you're woken to Nen, some of that fire is constantly leaking from you, but it's, like, a minimal amount. It's like when you have a tea kettle that hasn't been opened. It's like, oh, I should have gone with a tea kettle. Fuck. Okay, so it's a tea kettle. <laughs> um... So basically it will keep you young because your life energy is being like recycled as opposed to just floating away regularly because you're good at building up pressure and keeping the pressure there. Mm-hmm. That dog. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so 10 is the most basic defense against psycho-emotional Nen attacks, like from Ren. Um, we described that Ren could hurt you, but it hurts you by like just like completely like crippling your mind effectively if like you feel like a very strong Ren and don't have a defense against it. So 10 is basically how you coat yourself in something to protect yourself against it. And 10 can also stop physical attacks. Like really like notice how Zushi was just not getting harmed by Kilo, even though Kilo was doing things that would kill like even like hardened, incredibly strong people because he was just coated in his like energy. Mm -hmm. But uh, it can be pierced if the person coats their attack in Nen as well. Sorry, uh, if you have any questions, I, I feel like I interrupt you. If you have any questions, feel free to ask. Okay, no, I'm trying to, like, still kind of wrap my mind around it. it. It's starting to make sense a little bit, especially with the breakdown. Um, All human beings are tea kettles. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to put it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> with just, like, a billion holes. So like they're like I, pores, like yeah. in uh in Naruto, Neji, like the chakra pores are effectively like what your body's covered in. Right. right. So I guess yeah. it makes sense. Like the ten is essentially keeping the lid on the tea kettle instead of mm. overboiling it. Is no, that it's more like up? if you made a circular, uh, if you made your circulatory system work outside your body with with uh, Nen instead of blood. Oh, but continually having flowing within your system within that Nen system versus expelling it out. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. This will actually be more clear once I discuss the character that's used to write it, because, like, it's really weird. He's using the Chinese version of the meaning rather than the Japanese, which blew my mind. Um. Hmm. So... Zetsu is the idea of stopping the flow of aura from the body. So in this case, you just turn all the valves to, like, neutral. So, like, nothing goes in or out. Mm -hmm. And so, effectively, all the aura nodes are closed, and the aura is inside and passively heals you just because it's exposed to, like, all your cells at all time. Mm -hmm. So this makes people much harder to see or feel, even for normal people. This is something that I don't fully understand, but basically, if you're in Zetsu, even normal people have a harder time seeing you. So in the Hunter Hunter universe, like, presence is part of being able to detect people. Um, Not really sure how that works. I mean, I remember, um, like, when, during the, um, during the lesson, when, you know, like, um, when was saying, like, if you, like, let it all flow out, you're gonna feel fat- extreme fatigue and stuff, and then he was saying, at least in the English dub, saying, like, you have to think of it flowing just within your body, and then that, that's when, like, you know, um, 
and like was talking about natural stances and stuff like that and how mm. like Gon and um, Kilowa were geniuses because they naturally took a, a, re- a relaxed pose um, without even having to like be told to. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I guess like yeah um, yeah that one is a little con- I think it makes sense about like containing the aura making your aura like I guess but by like making sure your aura isn't like spilling out everywhere then you can like make it contained and like make it feel like less noticeable um mm-hmm. but then the one that says like zetsu prevents the user from being able to see the aura but how can you explain that further they become more sensitive so that one i'm a little confused about so they can um, yeah, okay. I'm I'm trying to figure that out exactly, too. So, basically, there's the idea of if you have Nen flowing through your eyes, and, mm-hmm. like, with your pores open to your eyes, you're able to see Nen. Meanwhile, if you don't have those open, you can't see Nen, but I think you're able to just feel it, like, throughout mm-hmm. your entire body. Like, you're able to more receptively feel Nen, and this is assuming that you've trained Nen because otherwise the feeling won't mean anything to you. So right. I think the idea is just like you'll feel you'll become sensitive to the bombardment of other people's Nen when you remove yours as like a interference pattern. Yeah, that ma- I guess that makes sense because then because if you're constantly like quote unquote feeling yours all the time, then it'll be harder to focus on like for example seeing seeing and being aware of like your opponent's Nen, for example, it's kind of like, you know, like, not the same as mind reading, but I'm sure it's like a similar concept if you're always, like, reaching out to read other people's mind or being conscious of what they're thinking, but you're being bombarded by your own thoughts 24-7, then it would mm. be hard to, like, practice that skill, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I'm wondering, yeah, this is like a crude metaphor, crude not in the sense of being gross, but crude in the sense of just like maybe not that good of a metaphor, but like yeah. it's easiest to hear other people when you're not speaking. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, moving on to Ren. This is like an explosive outward projection of Nen. Um, I think this one's kind of the easiest one to sort of understand because it's kind of just powering up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So basically, you amplify your physical strength and durability while doing this. It provides a pool of aura for use for advanced techniques. Basically, you're just charging up. And then if you do 10 while you've done your Ren, you can basically contain the explosion. You've surrounded yourself with, like, the strongest version of, like, your Nen. So once learned, this can take at least a month of training to use for 10 minutes straight. And with good timing, 10 can be used to capture Ren and stay charged up. So being mentally hostile during Ren can be... Actually, do you have any questions about that before going to the next one, which is kind of a big bullet point? Um, so, like, for... So Ren is basically... Um, so it's kind of like taking the aura and using it to, like, basically pump you up physically, right? Is that, like, the really crude way to put it? Like, um, this is almost the offensive form of nen yeah yeah it it increases your defense as well but it is often phrased as an offensive tactic because like you get stronger and like basically you're surrounded by the strongest version of your nen and um they kind of mentioned that like when you are doing ren it's a pretty good approximation for how much power you can generate as a whole so like if someone wants to judge your power they'll look at your like strongest ren 
So it's not like Ren is like a limitless, everyone has the same amount. It's kind of based on the individual still. So, yes. okay. Kind of, is that like similar to like, I was thinking, oh, it kind of reminds me of like, well, let's say Yuhakusho spirit energy almost, you know, like, t- is it, it's not the same, but it's like a interesting comparison, you know, like people have spirit energy, but no one, unless you train hard, that's when you tap into it kind of thing. Yeah. I'd, I'd say visually, if you want a metaphor from Yu Hakusho, do you remember when Sensui disintegrates his armor and then like regenerates it on his body in the different form? Yes. The part where he disintegrates it and it's flying around him, but he's like keeping it close to him in order to resolidify it, that's effectively doing Ren after doing an, uh, that's effectively doing 10 after doing an explosive Ren. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. So um, I have a note here that uh, if you are mentally hostile while doing Ren, it basically turns it into a psychophysical attack where if other people are not guarded when they feel that, depending on how strong you are, it can, like, drive them insane. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, things like this happen. Like, as it goes on, you find out that Tagashi's a pretty big fan of Lovecraft because there are people exposed to, like, otherworldly characters who have insanely strong auras that, like, cripple them mentally. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it takes the dragon ball z thing of being scared shitless and turns it more into like no you will just like psychologically degenerate Dang, it's a nightmare <laughs> yeah so um i have a note here that says combinations of the initial three basically different combinations of those three allow for advanced generic nen techniques i say generic here not saying like oh these aren't important more like these are things that every nen master needs to know but they're things that everyone can learn they're not personalized mm-hmm. so these are the building blocks for the like advanced but generic techniques so the last one is hatsu which i'll try not to spoil too much about but it's basically one's personal expression of nen and the easiest form of it is just doing ren and directing it towards something which is what uh wing shows them like when he makes that fucking impact mark on the wall that's not technically his own personal Hatsu. That's just the beginning of his personal Hatsu. And, like, that's that's the part everyone can do. Um, maybe not to that level of force, because Wing's a pretty strong dude, as you can tell. Um, but that is, like, the initial idea. Its uh, its qualities are influenced by but not restricted to the Nen user's natural Nen category, which is something we'll talk about later. And if you don't make it specific for you, it will never reach its potential, because, like... Hatsu basically has to be tailor-made for yourself. Mm, okay. So it's a it's a real fun device for people to do character development, too. Yeah, so with that explanation, how are you guys kind of feeling about the general idea? It, no, I, th- I have definitely have a better idea. Um, I think I just need to see it in action, too. <laughs> you will. Yeah, so <laughs> once it's I see it in action. I feel like all the explanations will come together and I'll be able to make two cents out of it. Sounds good. Yeah. I just kind of want to get some theory stuff in here just because like it's something I really care about and we'll see if anyone else, we'll see if anyone ever likes the, what I'm about to do, which is explain the characters used to describe each of the like Nen exercises. So, um, just generally stating, when I search this again, I'm going to preface this with, like, yo, I don't know Chinese, I do not know Japanese, this is all from research, and I'm going to try to pronounce things correctly, but I'm not even going to try with tone, because 
to this point, I do need to work on tone, but I'm not going to try it right now because I'll just fuck it up. So know that I'm saying things tonelessly. <laughs> tone deaf, if you will. <laughs> it's all good, but, uh, Joe. All the... Sorry? It's all good, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so for some background, all the characters used uh, for the different Nen exercises use their own Yomi pronunciations, a.k.a. their Chinese-derived pronunciations instead of Japanese. And I strongly suspect this is to talk about the Chinese roots of like many martial arts styles. Um, interestingly, though, many of these Onyomi readings, which are Chinese-derived, don't actually sound that similar to the original Chinese. They're just the ones accepted as quote-unquote traditional. So that's like a weird division there. You can also see that in many other aspects of Japanese culture metaphorically, but here it's very clearly obvious. Um, so the deep readings of each of the concept slash characters are a mix of Chinese definitions and modern Japanese ones with Chinese slightly edging out the Japanese meanings in terms of like just number of them. This, this could actually be my fault of understanding though, because the Chinese meanings may be more common in Japanese at the literary level. Like if you use them poetically, just because mm -hmm. like the poetic readings might be more in line with the Chinese readings. Um, real quick, actually, I'm going to skip that cause that's too in depth. <laughs> But anyways, uh, the first character, 10, well, the first exercise, 10, mm -hmm. the initial fake one, the Nen of the Flame, 10 that they talk about, is the character for point, uh, which, you know, they say you're focusing the mind, reflecting on the self, and determining the goal. In the, the kanji for this, its simplified version was actually a character originally meaning black spot. Um, this isn't meaningful. I just wanted to note it because it's kind of interesting that it was like literally a just a spot which eventually became point the like mathematical thing. I'm going to try to avoid <laughs> right. pointing things out about the fake ones now, but just for ones that like have like cute derivations or things like that. Mm -hmm. So ten, the one we actually care about, uh, which they describe as meaning envelop or shroud. Um, if you look at the Chinese data on it, in Chinese, it meant to tie or bind with the characters, uh, with the sub characters implying that the ties were made of silk because like the character for silk is in there. So, uh, in pronunciation, the middle Chinese, which influenced the Japanese is, uh, that's, that's a character that's in IPA that I'm going to try to pronounce, but let's see how it goes. Uh, Xian, which came into Cantonese as Zin. Or uh, the Japanese one is not even close. Like, ten is not the same as zian, but, like, oftentimes you'd see z turn into t in Japanese. So in Japanese, it means more to wear rather than bind. And so in this case, I would say that the Japanese is closer because, uh, you know, you're kind of wearing your ten. Like, it's the idea of, like, you take the silk threads that is your aura and weave them around yourself. Oh, I, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, you're effectively wearing an, a shirt made of your own life energy. Makes more sense than, like, the noodle metaphor we were going with earlier with macaroni. <laughs> yes. My noodle shirt that I wear all the time. I did it, y'all. So, uh, the next one, Zetsu. Uh, the, I'm again going to talk about an end of the flame one just because I think this one's cute. Um, the one that they used for Zetsu is tongue, which, you know, the idea was like, put it into words. The reason I think this one is cute is if you look at the way the character is drawn, the original character for it, like the one that was drawn on turtle bones during like divination spells to like tell the future was literally just a tongue coming out of a snake's mouth. Oh. 
And it became what is now the character for Tongue. Nice. So the other Zetsu, uh, aka Suppress or Null, the uh, kanji slash hanze for it, um, in Chinese it means to break off or sever, or to terminate or to disappear. So in terms of character origin, the word for silk is actually in there again. So it's silk plus knife, meaning the idea is to cut the threads. So it's uh, this is purposefully to contrast it with the idea of being shrouded in silk in ten. So like Zetsu and ten can in many ways be seen as opposites of each other, mm-hmm. which you know kind of makes sense. So the pronunciation in Middle Chinese was, wow, this one is a bunch of IPA characters. So give me a sense. Uh, give me a second. It's Zyut. <laughs> There's like diacritics on there, like a backwards e. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, you know. Uh, we'll see. Uh, so in Mandarin, this has become Jue, and in Kanto, this has become Zyut. Uh, so I was really surprised to find out that this word actually kind of, this Japanese word actually does sound like the very conservative Onyomi pronunciation, simply because, like, when you see Z in Japanese, I often think of that as characteristically Japanese, but I forget that Middle Chinese had more Z noises uh, than modern, like, Mandarin does. So that one was kind of weird. Like, zut and zets aren't that different. So in the Japanese meaning, it means to cease and discontinue and sever. So I, I would describe this as seemingly using the more common Japanese interpretation, but with the undertones of the Chinese derivation with, like, silk being there to contrast it directly to ten. I just like how... I, I guess, like, if we go back to... Like Yu Hakusho, when they talk about Rando and him using the technique life force threads, they describe it as like one of the oldest forms of use of spirit energy. And so, like, I think this is coincidence, but it is cool that the idea of like uh, power as silk can be kind of like read into things just because of the ancient Chinese nature of like the powers of this of this style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's and really... just how important silk is. Sorry. No, I think that's a really cool like um, comparison, and it's kind of gives you. Like a different way to visually see it as well. Um, so I think, like, um, yeah, it's kind of like cool how, well, I see kind of like the thread of life almost kind of tied it. Maybe that's a little mm-hmm. cheesy, but, um, yeah, I think, I think these are like really, like, this is like really good research and kind of gives us like better idea about behind like these like steps, basically. Um, mm-hmm. Versus, like, sometimes, you know, especially when with non-native speakers, when they have, like, these very, like, um, these kind of terms, you kind of take them for what they are. So I think it's cool that you're kind of, like, going in depth to really have context, you know? Yeah, I definitely didn't do this the first time I read the manga, like, but I was just like, no, I really want to read these characters because I have a feeling this will, like, reveal some interesting stuff. And to some degree it has. So let's hope that... You know, a reading by, like, a uh, native reader won't just be like, dude, you're insane. (laughs) So, uh, for the next two characters, interestingly, for Nen of Flame and Nen of uh, Mind, they actually use the same characters for Ren and Ren and Hatsu and Hatsu, but they use different definitions. So, it's basically like if you looked at the dictionary and used definition two versus one, Mm -hmm. which is interesting, to say the least. So with Ren, the character, uh, like the way they describe it in Nen of the Flame is temper, aka intensify your will. And that kind of goes with, you know, like tempering plus fire. You get the idea. Like to temper something uses fire. Right. 
Meanwhile, in the Nen of the Mind, it's to refine or enhance, which is the same character for both, but the fake one and the real one use different uh, definition numbers. Mm-hmm. So the Chinese meaning of this character is to smelt or refine. And the character origin is literally the character for metal plus a character that is only used for its sonic value. So the middle Chinese is Len. So the sonic value character effectively makes the sound Len. And you often see this with a lot of derived characters where they have one part of it that is meaning that means something and then one part of it that makes the sound you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, you also see this in late Egyptian where they did similar things with derived words. So if anyone tells you that there's phonetic content to Chinese, which is something that used to confuse me when people would tell me that, this is what they mean. Like that, like some characters are constructed, constructed using like homophonic puns. I had no idea. Yeah, it's, it's weird. And it's especially weird hearing that because like some of those still ring true today. Some of them are so ancient that like they don't sound alike anymore. So the pun is completely lost. It's very weird. So the middle Chinese for the reading of Ren was Len. And this makes a lot of sense because L often changes to R in transcription from Chinese to Japanese. Uh, Cantonese is Lin and Mandarin is Lian. So as you can tell, Chinese retained the L, Japanese did not. Mm -hmm. So the Japanese version of this character is actually a simplified version of the Chinese original. But I thought this was going to be a cool pattern and reveal something, but it turned out it was a dead end. That was the thing I skipped over earlier. But so the changed meaning, in Japanese it means to temper, which was the meaning they gave it in Nen of the Flame, while the one in Nen of the Mind was refine. And like while those two are related, I do think it's interesting that the fake one is Japanese and the real one is Chinese. So basically saying like if you're going to the core of the concept, you have to look at the ancient past. Um, yeah, so a similar thing with – I guess like did that uh, show you anything with regards to Ren, the idea of like, oh yeah, you're refine uh, – like – the idea of, like, refining versus just getting stronger. You're, like, uh, purifying yourself effectively. Yeah, kind of, it's kind of like, um, because, like, it's similar, you know, like, when you think powering or enhancing, like, honing in on your skill, basically, is, like, I think a similar, like, in English, like, it would be, like, a, like a, a synonym, basically, for it. So, it makes sense, um, this more, because if, you know... Like, if your aura is something that's within you already and that you're just training, you're not necessarily, like, you're using what aura you have and really, like, honing in on it, enhancing it versus, like, it's different from muscles, which you're, like, building up, you know, to make yourself stronger, I guess? Is that Hmm. kind of, like, the difference? Like, a physical, like, a it's more of, like, it's different from just, like, pure physical training, I think one thing that could be seen here is, like, I don't know if this is intentional, but, like, so the difference between refining and tempering, oftentimes when you temper, you add you add material to something to, like, change its chemical properties, while when you refine, you're trying to take out impurities. Right. And so I wonder if the idea of, like, it's the idea of addition versus subtraction. Like, oftentimes in Chinese martial arts, the philosophical aspect, people talk about how you're actually trying to subtract wrong beliefs rather than add right beliefs. Mm-hmm. And that could also kind of go with, like, the thing he mentioned about the idea of, quote-unquote, like, it's easy to get stuck in a wrong idea if you do Ren. Yeah, because, like, once you have an incorrect idea, you can't correct it afterwards, so. 
Yeah, so that could be the spiritual versus physical aspect of this. That gives a lot of context because when he w- Wing was mentioning that, I was a little confused by... Like, why would you say this? Like, you know, when he was mentioning, like, you know, when you're starting... Oh my gosh, I need to go back in the notes. But, um, when you, um... Sorry, like, the part where it's like you, once you get into this state, you can't correct an incorrect idea. And I found mm-hmm. that a little confusing, like, in terms of that. But I guess this kind of gives more context, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's weird how poetic it turned out to be, because when I first read it, I was like, what a weird thing to say, but okay. Yeah, I was like, okay, I, I, I don't know why you were thinking, like, what does ideas have to play into this, you know? So. Mm, yeah. Um, so moving into Hatsu, again, both the fake one and the real one use the same character, which, um, in the fake, in the flame, uh, the Nen of the Flame, uh, you know, Moe slash, <laughs> slash Nen, <laughs> um, the Hatsu can be, it's described as release, uh, to put it into action. And that, that there's actually something there, but in the other one, it's referred to as release slash act. And, um, again, the kanji slash the Hanza are the same for both of them. But like with different mean with def- different definition numbers. So if you look at the Chinese meaning, it means to shoot or to launch or to issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the character origin, if you look at its oldest form, as on ti- like turtle bones. Just I think we're number one for like description of turtle bones on a non like uh, biology podcast. Uh, in this one, the character was literally just a bow and arrow, <laughs> like the ancient version of it. And so you could kind of see it as to shoot. Um, it's a bow and arrow that kind of got more abstract over time. But if you look at the pronunciation, it was like pwat or uh, in Middle Chinese. And in Kanto, <laughs> it was... Sorry? Oh, I'm just laughing at that. Because the pronunciation like is so different. No, not at the Filipino. But I can kind of see that too. The pronunciation is so different from Hatsu. That's why. So. Oh, yeah. So I'm actually... I'm going to explain that. That's an interesting one. Um, so in Middle Chinese, it was pwat. In Kanto, it became fat. And in Mandarin, it became fa. So in Japanese, again, Hatsu, uh, the changed meaning instead, it's to set off, to depart, to start, emit, or discharge. Mm. Uh, the pronunciation Hatsu is comes from, so oftentimes in language over time, P can turn into F. Uh, if you look at Tagalog, uh, P turns into <laughs> F all the time. Um, so Pwat became Pwat. And then in Chinese, this turned into Fat in Cantonese, but in Japanese, it eventually became Fuatu and then Hats because F also often turns into H. Um, I forget the exact physical reason for that, but that's actually something that happens a lot in Western languages. If you look at Spanish, a lot of words that begin with silent H in Latin, their equivalent begins with like voiced F. So, oh. you know, the word um, to speak in Spanish, hablar. Yes. The Latin equivalent is fabulare with an F. Oh, wow, I had no idea. Yeah, so F often becomes H throughout, like, linguistic transformation, like, just over the course of history because people get lazy to say the F, so they're just like, huh, huh. <laughs> and then in Spanish, they're like, fuck it, not even huh. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, with this one, if you look at the two meanings, the Chinese one, which includes the character for Bo, I'd say is the more accurate one because you're not only emitting or starting something, but you're also shooting. Like, not everyone will shoot as a part of their Hatsu, but the idea of a mission of something from yourself, like, you've made your body taut by using Ten and Ren to, like, sort of, like, 
put yourself into a state of high pressure, and then Hatsu is the release or the action of it. So I thought that, like, for me, that was, like, the coolest one was seeing, like, oh, shit, the ancient Chinese description of this is actually a fucking bow and arrow. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Hopefully this is the deepest I ever go with kanji in this show. No, this but- was really good research. I think because, I mean, I don't know too much about, like, Chinese characters with Japanese, but I do know, like, um... It has a lot of it's like visual, right? Like, you know, like taking using characters visually to help express the meaning behind them. Um, so I think this is like really like a, you did a really good job doing in depth research about it. And like, um, I don't know, it, it does give a lot more context. Maybe not like, even if it doesn't fully explain why Takashi used these terms and like stuff like that, it gives us at least a better, understanding and maybe something we can reference back as we continue watching the series, you know? Mm-hmm. I, if I ever had a chance to speak with Tagashi, among the many questions I would ask him would be like, hey, how deeply were you thinking about these characters? Am I insane? <laughs> <laughs> it could also just be something where a lot, um, I don't know, either he was consciously thinking or just subconsciously knowing, subconsciously doing it from his, like, common knowledge, and it just happens to have, like, all this historical background to it. I mean, we are, like, like, every, a lot of, like, artistic intent comes from either personal or historical knowledge and mm-hmm. the influences, so maybe he won't have, like, yes, I was inspired to use this term because of the history of this terminology, but he more like, oh, I just knew what it kind of, what it meant immediately to me in like Japanese, and I just thought it sounded cool, and <laughs> that that's how it is. I mean, either way, like sometimes what what the artist does intend to do um, shows one thing, but the unknown history or like what they didn't even think about considered really um it also can shed lights to light on what their thinking process was i don't know if that makes any sense but no it 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 totally does i've been struggling recently with the concept of um the death of the author and the like and i i've heard um i've described a podcast i listened to called mobile suit uh god what is it mobile suit Mobile Suit Breakdown, which is a really deep read of uh, Gundam and like all the series that come after it. And one of the things they talk about is um, they like they don't necessarily agree with the the death of the author, but they don't also agree with like the idea of like the author is the final um, say on like their work. So they believe in, quote unquote, the living death of the author. And uh, that's kind of where I stand. And so mm-hmm. while I think this could be intentional, I don't want to say that unless he agrees with it. And if he doesn't agree with it, I will say that this is a possible um, distillation of, like, surrounding cultural influences in the way that you described. Right. Um, Yeah, the thing that kind of made me go on this entire quest was when I was looking Mm -hmm. at the characters for things and noticed that they were all Chinese readings as opposed to Japanese readings. I was like, that's weird. And so I started breaking it down just to look further. That's how my mind works. (laughs) I have a condition. No, that's really cool. Like, definitely, thank you for putting so much effort into this research. You know, probably wasn't easy and took a while, but it's this is really fascinating. 
Yeah. Um, if I can ever get it confirmed, I'm going to put it in the Hunter Wiki. I've, I've honestly been thinking about, like, man, I wonder how much of our independent research would be admissible into the Hunter Wiki, but I guess we'll find that out at the end. Yeah. Well, yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of what I got. Um, hopefully that helps the listeners and you guys kind of have, like, a more cohesive or at least like did, when you guys studied for school did you guys use uh mnemonics because i think even if this is quote-unquote incorrect it at least serves as a pretty good mnemonic discussion um i think i did like a little bit um and i won't i don't unfortunately i'm like i don't remember much of my high school education at this um, point because it's been years but uh our history when we studied um Chinese paintings and stuff like that, and I won't go into details because that was kind of a long time ago as well, but I know we got quizzed on sometimes, like, the characters used to describe paintings and stuff like that, so... Uh, Interesting. Yeah, so... Yeah. I think um, for... What was that one? For... Human Event? Oh yeah, human event. One of the one of the books that we read was in Gaelic. Um, so we did have like a very in depth discussion on, um, the meaning behind the words and how it connected to like modern English language and the distillation of the meanings of the terminology. And I think I also kind of apply that same way of thinking, um, to different medical terms that I learned when, um. Since I do, since I'm working in healthcare, so that helped a lot with at least connecting a lot of the similar types of medicine together. Like cardio, for example, it deals with everything for the heart, and understanding that basic meaning of what cardio, you know, means can you can relate it all to any issue or um, concept relating to the human heart. So. I guess in a way, yeah, for sure. Nice. Yeah, cool. So uh, I'm I'm done with the lesson. If you guys want to just take it away. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to the Spirit Hunters. Please hit us up with questions, requests, or just to chat at our Facebook at Spirit Hunter Pod or at our Twitter at Spirit Hunter Pod. Today's intro was made by Studio Mega Arnie. Joe forgot to say that in the notes, so check them out on YouTube and iTunes. That's Studio M-E-G-A-A-N-E. If you enjoy the show and want to find a way to introduce it to other people, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The algorithm determines our ability to be discovered, and your review could put us over the edge. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. See ya. Bye. <laughs> ただの言葉だけが一つ溶け出して